Listening to Rabbi Ariel Scholklapper, the wisdom and tools you need to thrive. Hi, 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 everybody. Hi. Welcome. Hi. Um, I'm so excited to be here today. My name is Rav Ariel Scholklapper, and this is a project that I conceived of. I wanted to start to show everybody who uh, who has met me the wonderful teachers that I've been lucky to be in in touch with so far and also to meet new teachers eventually who I haven't met yet and get to know them as well. And today uh, we're going to talk to one of my teachers, who uh, Sheila Katz, who uh, she, she led me in my journey uh, of a three-week retreat. It was my longest retreat and she helped uh, support me through that, so I'm super. Uh, I have a lot of fond uh, feelings and loving feelings towards her because of the experience that we shared already. So, and and also, even though I know I, I, some about her, I don't know all of her Genesis story, and I want to hear that today, and I want to share that with everybody as well. So. I, I also, I guess one of the goals of this is not just for me to just uh, interview a bunch of teachers, but also to give you some kind of skill that you can walk away from each one of these uh, episodes with so that you have for your own toolkit as you unfold in your own spiritual journey to have some bit of, of some practical bit to take away f- with you. Um, so we're going to structure our time today by having a meditation uh, that Sheila is going to lead us in and she'll guide us. So if you don't have any experience, don't worry. And if you have plenty of experience, then you'll really enjoy it as well. And then I'm going to interview Sheila and she's going to tell us about her life. And we'll also hear about an upcoming retreat that she and a few of our previous episode colleagues have already shared about. If you haven't checked them out, you can always also go check out the other faculty for this retreat and hear from them as well before jumping in because it's going to be really an amazing opportunity for you to deepen your own spiritual practice, especially uh, if you are a woman coming up for this next retreat, but other retreats, much more possibility. So uh, I, I gave a little bit of an intro. I could give more intro about about what, like your academic career, your PhD, and you teach at the Berkeley School, right? Uh, Berkeley College of Music. Berkeley College of Music, and uh, that that I think would say something about you, uh, but I feel like that is not the context at all in which I know you, and so I'm gonna leave the the other bits for you to share. Um, and turn it over to you. I'm excited for us to be here together to learn from you and to get settled. So please take it away. Uh, 
maybe we can start with a prayer. Uh, I don't know if you're one for a spontaneous prayer, uh, but you'll tell me uh, by by looking at me if I said I'm nodding yes or no. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So if you would like to lead us with a prayer, um, this I think it's a good time for us to begin with what our, our hope this time can bring to the world might be. I think that once you sit, am I on? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, once you have an intention to sit and turn towards uh, the truth of what's arising now, uh, that you can't help but um, be a force uh, for the awakening of all beings. So when we sit together, we could never, even if we intended and tried to do it just for ourselves, it would never be. So my prayer is that um, there that those of you who are sitting together with us now uh, will touch in for maybe mo a moment um, to the sense that we are so connected right now with everybody who has in their heart um, a wish to awaken, to create lives on this planet that are have dignity and, uh, and love, compassion. So, um, yes. I have, that's all I hope for. for this amen. Time. I would say <laughs> amen to that. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. I, I know I put you on the spot a little bit, but thank you for sharing the, the blessing with us. And um, you want to take over? You want to lead us into the practice? Sure. Sure. Thank you, Ariel. Thank you for having me and inviting me and twisting my arm <laughs> and offering those millions of dollars. But no, <laughs> I'm very happy to be here. So um, wherever you are, uh, I'd like you to take a position with your body that's non-habitual. So um, you want to uh, be upright. You might be on a cushion. You might be in a chair. And you want to be balanced from right to left. And you want to be balanced from uprightness and groundedness. And... Um, I have an image in my mind of um, the Star of David, the two triangles. The first triangle came from the Far East, and it was a fertility symbol. You might guess what it is by that shape. <laughs> and then the second, and that was our grounding. That was our groundedness. The second uh, triangle um, has to do with the um, way that uh, transcendence reaches for us, and we can see it in every breath. So let's. Um, Let's think about the body first. Let's put our awareness in the body and the body in our awareness. By just being conscious of the touch points now of the body. Can you feel what your feet are touching, what your hands are feeling? If you can have your back free, that's great. And if it's more comfortable to be supported, you can do that. And you can invite your eyelids to either close gently or be partially open, soft focus towards the ground, about six feet away. And we're going to 
do a, a brief scan of the body to see if there are any habitual places of tension or new ones. And if you notice anything, you can breathe in the tension, like really breathe, like get it close to you, and then breathe out, release. And then scan the body again. And this time, see if you can notice places that have a bit of ease. And now I want to ask you to notice the faithful hug of the earth to your body. For not one moment does it falter that support, that embrace. And where is that felt in the body, that connection to earth? You might uh, want to check out each time there's an out-breath, see if there's a kind of settling into that embrace. And then as you inhale, can you notice the rising of the chest, possibly the abdomen, possibly the shoulders, the neck, back of the head, as the sky reaches for us. As the sky breathes us. So with each inhale, notice there's a slight lifting. The back of the head moves upward. And with each release of breath, there's groundedness. The earth and the sky in our body and our body in the earth and the sky. What is the sensation right now of being breathed? What is it like to be a breathing body right now? Without answering in words, but checking out your direct experience.
can you watch different parts of the breath? So can you notice the inhale beginning and filling the body until it's full and releasing the breath and noticing, especially noticing the space between the end of the out breath and just before the next in-breath begins, a place of deep stillness. And in the next few minutes of silence, if the mind wanders, as is its nature, uh, invite it back to settle inside the body, to come home to the body and breath, to ride the breath, to delight in being breathed in this miracle of a moment of life.
in another minute or so, you'll hear the sound of the bell. See if you can put your whole attention on the sensation of hearing. I love to smile after uh, after the bell. It sort of sets. It kind of sweetens the end, regardless of how the the how it actually went. <laughs> uh, sometimes you know, if you practice enough, not every sit is gonna be sweet, right? <laughs> not they're not all equally sweet, so. Actually, actually, um, it's the suffering parts that we stick with that make a huge difference in our lives. I mean, it is the path. The discomfort is a treasure. Do you want to say more about that before we jump in? <laughs> yeah, please. Please tell, tell us what, what do you mean by that? Well, I could. Can I tell you the story of my, what happened after my first retreat? Yeah, I'd love okay, to hear that. So it was the first time I sat for seven days. Uh, in silence, with beautiful, supported by beautiful davening chants in the morning, and lots of pleasure. But the sitting with the inside of this mind was so shocking and torturous. I just couldn't believe because I thought I had worked on all this stuff. I was already, you know, so mature and enlightened. But, <laughs> so, um, so it was hard. It was hard, and I didn't think at the end I would ever come back. Um, but I went home, and. Um, my youngest child um, told me that he was, it was winter break, he was not going to go back to high school. And so, um, which is, he had been saying this, but this was a definite, this was like a new certainty. Um, he had been struggling a little bit. Hmm. And, um, and because I had just been forced to listen to myself without being able to do anything about it, I just listened to him for two days, three days. And he cried for the first time since he was six, because he's not a crier. And, um, and I got information, and I wasn't doing my habitual mother fix-it. 
Wow. Great fix-it mom. I'll mm. fix it up. <laughs> I'll make it okay. No, I was not doing that. I was just receiving it. And um, within a few days, I had enough information from him, and I was still calm enough to call the school system and not be yelling at them. <laughs> uh, but just to, in a very open-hearted way, talk to them. And everything changed, and he went back and had the best year and a half left in school. So I thought, oh, no, I have to go back again. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. So so, uh, so the, the retreat itself was difficult for you, sounds oh, like. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was really. And I, um, but I'll tell you a secret is I, I like difficult, challenging things. <laughs> oh, okay. But it's interesting that you would, would have said before, when you kind of left, I don't think I'll go back. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I've met that uh, so many people who are like that dead set at the end of a retreat that they're not going to come back mm -hmm. and then later change their mind. I think I've heard more of, from people who at the end of retreat were like, I need to practice all the time. Mm -hmm. I want to come back. They're having a little bit of a euphoric kind of uh, high. And you're telling me that that's so interesting that, it was that difficult, but then, in the aftermath, the, the, uh, the yield of it, the 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 juice of it, was what ended up bringing you back. Just the utility, right? And back and back, because um, what I find is that uh, whatever happens on retreat, sometimes it's euphoric, sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's blah, boring, whatever. But afterwards, just from this mysterious. That's something that I still don't get, but just by coming back to breath, not all the time even, right? Because our minds are, my mind is wild. Um, yeah. Appreciating wild mind and being with what is, that the aftermath of retreat feels to me like what we were meant to be as humans. There's something about, there's some like layers of self-consciousness that have preventing, you know, prevent me from being in the world with a certain kind of ease that's just not there. So it's so open. It's mm. so, um, such a, it's, you know, like in Hebrew, the, the word chet is literally missed the mark, which is unfortunately interpreted as sin, right? Mm. Considered a sin. Yeah. But there's a sense of hitting the mark, like the voice, the mouth opens, the words come out and they hit, right? They're just like, it's such an ease. Um, so I also, when I, when I developed a more of a retreat practice, I used to sob when I came off retreat. <laughs> Because I didn't want to, I didn't, I knew what I, I knew that there would be this high and that I would lose it. Mm. But um, after many, many, after several decades of doing it, <laughs> <laughs> um, things have stabilized enough that uh, it doesn't feel that different now on retreat and off. Ooh. Yeah. That's, uh, okay. That's an interesting way of saying enlightened. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not what you're trying to say, but that's what I heard. Uh, well, according to the um, Soto Zen folks, we are all enlightened. Hmm. We Norman. don't. We don't realize that there's this gap between how we see our lives as more narrow than this spacious, infinite flow of compassion. Oof. Uh, and retreat and practice in your experience can uh can remove the barrier of of uh 
whatever it is that keeps us not there, right? I mean, whatever the, is it myself? Is it my resistance? I don't know. Maybe you have a better answer for that, but whatever it is, it's like, it's not no longer present and in the way. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it feels in the way, right? I mean, I don't that's maybe I'm just, I don't know. That's maybe well, a wrong view, but. <laughs> well, having wrong views is the nature of being in our, Mochin de Katnut, our small minds, as the, the Aramaic thing that the Kabbalists call it, right? Or we can call it the discursive mind, the ego mind, that of course we honor. And, they, you know, I'm glad you're here too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's nothing, the, I think the basis is there's nothing to fix. Like, like it's very easy in, for meditators and people doing all kinds of um, even social action, uh, activism, to see themselves or the world as a problem, right? And it feels very problematic. <laughs> well, yeah, um, yeah. But there's a way. Um, there's a way that coexisting with what's hard and with racial injustice and with all the isms, um, coexisting with that is this miracle of being alive. That if we can touch into it our activism and our responses to the world and our personal responses in each moment can become um, can become part of moving towards the world that we're trying to create. Mm. It's, a, it's a paradox because if it's a problem, we make it into a problem, then there's a lot of, um, we, we are perpetuating a certain kind of struggle. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I'm curious uh, how you came to this. What do you, where did you, like, why? It, Jewish mindfulness, that's the, like, not mindfulness, but the Jewish part. What was the, what led to you being here or there? <laughs> However, whenever, whenever that was, I don't know. So, I mean, I don't know how many hours we have, but I'm almost <laughs> 70. I've been at this for a long time. <laughs> then the beginning, the beginning. <laughs> um, I have to credit the beginning um, with um, being a freshman in high school. Somebody from our youth group came back from college um, that, you know, Thanksgiving and offered me a gift. And it was Martin Buber's I Am Thou that had just started to be reprinted again since the 30s when it came out. And, you know, as a 14-year-old, I'm not sure... Even now, as a 70-year-old, I don't understand it completely. But there was something um, for me that said there's, there's, there's another way to be in this world. There's, a, there's something else going on besides the, um, the struggle to make a living and to get enough food for, your, for our kids. Because right? my parents were the generation that lived through the Great Depression and went off to war for six years. Right? Those were mm-hmm. my parents. So um, what I saw was a lot of... Um, struggle and um yeah so there was this sense that oh my god this world as i've seen it so far for 14 years is not the whole story and that was huge and then you could cut to um being a freshman in college and you had to take uh you had to take something to satisfy a gym requirement and they were offering yoga which i had never done and so in the yoga, there was some form of meditation, and the yoga teacher was connected with Ananda Ashram in the foothills of the Catskills. 
where all the holy Jewish stuff goes on. <laughs> <laughs> and so I ended up there for a little while with uh, Ramamurthy Mishra. Um, and then when I was um, living in Israel, um, bringing Palestinians and Israelis together after college in my 20s, um, I would be invited to lead co-counseling workshops all over Europe. And I went to um, Sweden. I was invited to Sweden by the same person who invited um, the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who was the person who um, started TM. We weren't there at the same wow. time, but this woman initiated me into TM. Wow. In my 20s. And I thought meditation was getting a good nap at four o'clock in the afternoon so I could do my crazy life. <laughs> it I could didn't... be. <laughs> <laughs> it's very calm. The mantra was very calming. I don't have a calm personality. <laughs> so it was nice. <laughs> That's amazing. So what is it? What? Uh... Do you, do you say, how would you say that this is to you a Jewish practice? What's the, uh -huh, like, uh -huh. I mean, we are teaching under that banner in some way, right? So. Right, absolutely. Right. So, um, right. So I had the, um, the transcendental meditation piece, but um, after I started having, I, I, in my thirties, I had three children and got a doctorate at Harvard at the same time. Impressive. <laughs> <laughs> and there was no meditating. And the um, I, I, let me just digress for a moment from the Jewish, and then you can bring me back to that again. But um, I, mm -hmm. because we're about to lead a, um, a women's retreat, and one of the reasons that I'm doing that is that um, all of my spiritual teaching up to the point that I got married, had babies, and was getting a doctorate in Middle East history at Harvard, <laughs> um, Everything had been um, by men, you know, Ram Das and Alan Watts and, you know, uh, uh, Martin Buber. And uh, when I started to have my children, I figured, and to be in this doctoral program, I figured I was totally off the path, right? And this is the time in one's life for anyone out there who's had children where you are the most selfless. You cannot think about yourself for a moment. You're always there for somebody else. You're, you're, you feel the most compassionate and passionate love that you've ever felt for these creatures. And I thought I was off the path because I had been trained by men who went off. And, you know, well, even my women teachers, I have to say, um, I don't know if I should name them here, <laughs> <laughs> but they were not, um, they didn't have kids. And so one of them would say, I wake up in the morning and then I'll sit and then I chant and then I for an hour and a half. And I would wake up and I'd have three bodies on my body which was you know wonderful but I thought okay I'm this is like the least spiritual which afterwards as I you know as I evolved and realized how profound that time was I was um I thought like okay women's spirituality has to be somehow protected um seen experimented with right which a lot of it I mean I when I came back from Israel after the five years I was invited to um do a workshop to share what I had done with Palestinians and Israelis at the second um, feminist conference, second Jewish feminist conference in San Francisco. Hmm. And um, that was amazing. That was like so eye opening to me to be there because there was so much incredible uh, stuff about women's spirituality there, which I could spend hours sharing. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> 
and the Jewish aspect was I'm bringing you back now. <laughs> Jewish? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay. So what happened was um, I was invited the last couple of years at Elat Chaim when it was in Accord, New York. Um, I had been going for, um, I don't know, maybe 10 years. Um, and uh, they invited me to... Um, to be on staff. There's four staff people and I was the person doing the, uh, what do they call it? The mishpacha groups, which is where you met with other people that weren't in the classes that you were taking and debriefed. And anyway, like radical listening and all that Ooh. family that you never had. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> Listen to you. Anyway. So that summer, Alan Lou showed up the first week and mm. the staff was allowed to take one class per week. And so, um, you know, I sat down with him and he said to, he said to us, this is something you cannot succeed in and you cannot fail. And that I was hooked because <laughs> my whole life was a lot about succeeding and failing and succeeding. And, right. So, um, so I first learned about mindfulness from Rabbi Alan Liu. And, um, when I, uh, when I came home, my daughter was Turn, turning 18. She's my middle child. And um, there's Yay, some... middle children. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We love you. We love you. Thank you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so for some reason, I knew when I asked you this question that she was going to say yes, which was that, you know, I had this experience meditating. They're having a one-week silent meditation retreat at Elat Chaim, Jewish meditation retreat. And um, will you come with me? And so my daughter and I started to have a, a retreat practice. We went on this retreat together. Oh, that's so and sweet. we roomed together and I couldn't mother her. We had to be silent and she couldn't daughter me. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, she couldn't daughter you either. <laughs> I, think, I think if it was only that, it would have been profound. But then, of course, we sat and sat and sat. And we went back every six months for the next few years together. Um, and wow. Elat Chaim was just um, so ecstatic. And uh, the davening, I loved. I loved. I had been a little bit, little footnote is that um, out of Brandeis, I had been hired by Lawrence Kushner, Rabbi Lawrence Kushner, to be the wow. first song leader at Bethel. Because I happened to go to a, a summer camp and I happened to know um, Shlomo Karlach showed up. Sorry if I'm triggering anyone but he showed up at camp and um also debbie friedman was there so i wow. happened to know those songs which were very cutting edge back in the 70s sure <laughs> the early 70s so um yeah so um i eventually did find my way into the buddhist world but it was never as satisfying to me on a soul or heart level I did learn a tremendous amount about the practice that I was not learning completely in the Jewish world. So, and I had the good fortune of being able to dip into the Vipassana world, insight meditation, and the Soto Zen world through Norman Fisher, who's a very dear teacher. And um, I feel uh, like for me, I've been able to create retreats that are for me now, which is the highest thing is to combine those somehow, the teachings of uh, mindfulness Mm -hmm. um, in the context, with the context of a prayer practice, a chant practice, um, yeah. And our and, own and, and, language. And, and 
What? Sorry. And our own language, like our, our own, you know, yes. Yiddish, yes. <laughs> Yiddish kite and well, whatever. Well, what I was going to say is that um, the most amazing thing I think about the whole thing for me is I knew just enough Hebrew from living in Israel for five years that I'm not totally dependent on translation when I read the text. That's great. I'm not, I'm not that great at all, but just enough that I can see the fluidity of the verbs and I can see that our texts have probably some of the most ancient instructions for meditation. It's so clear to me. And the more I sit, the more I see it. And the more I see the text and read it, the more I, <laughs> it's like a cycle. So I think that's, I mean, it's the most exciting thing for me about awakening in this context and to see the teachings that are just strewn across the page. If you can, if you're not bound to English translation, which you would never figure out based on English translation, you could not do it. Wow. Yeah. That's something that I've thought about and I, I struggle with because I'm all, I'm, you know, similarly, I can access the, that, the, the other side of the page or the, or you know, the other, <laughs> the other side of the page, the Hebrew side of the page. And, uh, and I can see so much depth in those words, like you just described, that uh, doesn't come across in the translation. And I, I do. I wonder sometimes, does that mean that there's if you don't have that, that you're it's going to be really hard to kind of mine out the beauty for yourself and. Uh, you know, does that mean that you have to have, you know, some com- somebody to help curate it for you, which already makes access issue, right? I think about that as a as a something that I hope is not true, only because I don't want it. I don't want you know to be the the requirement for being able to you know get that um, gold out of the tradition to be contingent upon having the access to the language just because I, I know so many people who are smart and capable and deep and don't have the Hebrew. And it would be to me such a shame for them not, to not be able to then bring all that skill to bear on our tradition. If they didn't have, you know, fluid, well, fluent English, the, Hebrew. If you look at the Buddhist world, right? There are millions of people doing Buddhist meditation, and it's all being interpreted from Pali by somebody else. Mm. That's, there's very few people who are fluent. That's in interesting. Pali. Very, and, and it doesn't, I don't think that it's a barrier, um, because the teaching then comes across. And um, for our own, from our own tradition, it's the same thing. I mean, there are people of access to the Hebrew, but there's so much that they write. I mean, there's there's David Cooper's works. I don't even know if he had access to the Hebrew. <laughs> I'm not sure. But I, I think know. so. I think so, because they lived in Israel for a while. And Alan Liu, who has really good, you know, incredible books. And um, I mean, that's and on every retreat. There are these amazing teachings. So, I mean, it's if you look at the Buddhist world and the Jewish world, I don't think it's that different. In fact, I think that there are many more people doing Jewish meditation who can actually access the texts. And people accessing hmm. the Pali texts. Oh, that makes interesting because of all the Hebrew schooling that we all go through. Mm-hmm. We could at least decipher out the words. Mm-hmm. That's so and interesting. Just a simple word like Shabbat. So you take a word like Shabbat, and it has the same letters as Teshuvah, right? It might not be the same root, 
right. the shin bet, and then to sit, yeshev, right? There are these like, it's like simple things. You could take three words and you can make these amazing um, openings to our practice. You can find your way in. Right. Um, I have a drawing here. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't counting on showing it. it. Just happens to be here. Can I show this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh, cool. So, um, this I this is I don't want to do the whole um, you know spiel here because it takes. But that Shabbat. So, if you put the six days of creation on a Jewish star on a six pointed star, you get um, not only usually we see this story as one of dichotomy and duality right? Light separated from dark, water from water, right? Yeah. But here, if you look at it, they're all interconnected. Um, here, the light here of day one is connected to light in day four. And um, this one is connected to that, the plants and the earth with humans and the animals, the sky and the, and the, and the seas with the fish and the fowl. And inside is empty. And inside mm. is the seventh day. That's Shabbat. And it's empty. And it's... Um, it's the place where we get to have deep stopping. And I think that it's probably one of the most ancient uh, meditation teachings that exist. To stop. Right? Just to stop and to sit, because you're Shevet. Yeah. In that, with, with, the, with the letters anyway, and you're allowed to yeah. play with letters, yeah. right? Especially yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and We're then definitely not allowed. Only to sit, but to settle, to Yoshev, to, to sit. To, oh, and to, to Shuvah, to, to return. So what we're doing is returning home returning to breath, which knows its connection to everything. Right? Ooh, like you talked about in our uh, beginning practice yes. about the breath and you led us so skillfully in that. And I'm curious, do you, what, like, what was the switch from, I mean, I know you're a teacher already, right? So from Har the Harvard and, the, you know, but how, how did you choose to start or what what happened that made you start teaching this practice and passing it along? Because there's, I think it's different to receive it and to give it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is. Um, there's a lot of teachers in my background. I mean, my mother and father are both, and I have the gene, and my cousin has the gene. <laughs> and yeah. anything that I I have to actually stop myself from teaching because, like, I learned yoga and I love yoga. Oh, I should become a yoga teacher. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's not going to be fun anymore. So there is something. There is something that's like predisposed from conditioning. Okay. But um, but, um, but it but it actually happened quite um, you know, kind of backing into it. Um, after that first retreat, I was um. I knew that I was switching synagogues. Um, Larry Kushner had left, and my life had changed. So I was starting to um, gravitate towards Temple Beth Zion in Brookline which is Moshe Waldock's, Rabbi Moshe Waldock's, hmm. who's one of the people, if you ever, if you read, um, what's the one about um, the Jew in the Lotus? He was one of the rabbis oh, yeah, yeah. who was invited by the Dalai Lama to come teach the Tibetans how do you survive with your culture intact in exile. So right. he was on that, and I knew that he was on that. And I had just been on this retreat, and I went to him, and I said, look, can we start something here? Are you, or are you doing something? Are you, are you meditating here? And he had already, you know, done a few things. Um, and there was someone for, who had led the retreat who was coming to Boston. So um, what happened was that the person who was teaching the meditation, I was in the middle of a two-year chant leaders training with Shefa Gold, Rabbi Shefa Gold. Mm, so he asked yeah. me if I would lead chant for part of that time. 
So for a couple of years, he did the teaching of the meditation and I did the chant. And then um, I went on a two-year program, the Elat Chaim Advanced Meditation Program, ECAM. And then they had a, then they, then there was a program to, uh, if you wanted to become a teacher with IGS, IGS, the um, Jewish Meditation Mindfulness Teacher Training. So there was like a kind of an evolution over a couple of years. And somebody else in the congregation um, had a lot of experience with Vipassana and also wanted to explore Jewish stuff. She came with me. And then we were these two trained teachers. So for the last 15 years or so, we've been we've had this meditation group um, in, in Brookline. Weekly or how often? We meet every Friday morning and everyone's Whoa. welcome on Zoom. <laughs> oh, that's nice. On Zoom now, yeah. So I'll, I hope to get the uh, information for people, anybody who wants to sit with you on yeah. Friday mornings. Yeah, so I don't teach uh, every week, but we rotate between Reb Moshe Waldachs and um, Dr. Bobby Isberg, Dr. Sheila Katz, and Reggie Silverberg. Oh, Reggie's with you? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, so I know Reggie. I don't know what uh, the other con I this world, but mm-hmm. okay, I didn't know that you're all together. Um, thank. So that's amazing. I'm so I'm so glad to have had this time to just even uh, get a little bit deeper into your story. And I never heard you discuss the your your spirituality in quite that way even though i've heard you tell your story before in other ways because we sat together for so many days um (laughs) but i loved what you said about just having the spiritual lens on motherhood in a different way and in in a context that actually makes sense for the world that we're in and not uh and shifting that from feeling potentially you know I, I i work with people who i see a lot of people who feel like well you know um not now not my spirituality not now and i think that that's such a oh um it's an opportunity yeah it can actually be an opportunity if framed you know a little bit better and i'm so excited for you to be offering that kind of shift in mentality and paradigm for other women who can benefit by that and hopefully you know generationally also so to start to think of the the spiritual practice as the stuff of life right i think that's uh that's where all of this comes to play and and i think thank you for sharing with us your your fixerness too i mean i think that it's interesting for me i'm kind of recognizing that a little bit more in myself I'm, I, I recognize sometimes I want to fix it but really it's not um, it just needs to be listened to mm-hmm. right and uh, that's a that's a difference there's a difference in mentality and, and approach for that um, so the retreats coming up do you want to say anything about that uh, before we sign out well we already know Again, like in July, we did our first retreat in July. We already know that there will be people um, with us from Israel through Hawaii. Wow. And and, um, I think uh, we also had someone from England last time. I don't know if we do that now. But um, yeah. Wow. So um, it's very, it's to me, it's um, this practice in general is a miracle that it works the way it does. But to do it on Zoom has been so powerful. Um, I think I mentioned to you before we went on that between 
March when COVID shut everything down in July, I taught meditation on every continent. But I got chipped out of a real trip to Australia and New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> Someday, if you're listening out there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's owed, right? Let's consider it. Uh... <laughs> um, but uh, yes, it's, um, it's, it's very powerful to sit together. And to sit together as women, there's a certain kind of safety. And um, I know it brings out of me uh, different ways of speaking and sharing. Um, there's something about the personal is political, right? That we uh, we learned when feminism hit the scene, and that that can be lived out more, in some ways. I love that. I think I'm. That's what part of why I'm. I've been like making an extra effort to get all the teachers featured quickly, uh, even though I, w- I wasn't really ready to do this podcast yet. <laughs> but I was like, this is this would be a shame if people, especially during pandemic. When this is a, I think I heard it said the other day, COVID crisis. Let's call it a crisis. I think that's a good terminology. Um, So it's like we need the skills now more than we ever have. And there's a good amount of people who are feeling isolated or who are feeling um, in need of some spiritual strength. And I know, I know that you, you and the other teachers have that to give. Uh, I know you may not feel like that all the time and I know you're definitely not perfect and nobody's perfect, but I also know that your cup runs over with wisdom and with uh, grace and ease. And so I think that it's such a gift to the world that you're doing this, especially uh, because it's so needed. It's so, so, so needed. And I know that the theme of this year is also joyous, right? Because it's going to be kicking off with this month of joy. And I think that uh, reminding ourselves and cultivating the sense of joy and ease is part of our birthright Mm -hmm. as people. And the fact that you are bringing that to people in a time when they so, so, so need it, I think is so important. And I'm excited to hear about it. Uh, to hear about it from all the people who are going to uh, end up joining you, uh, hopefully because of our call today. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to see you again. Yeah, likewise. Good. So thank you, everybody. And um, we'll sign off for the day. Um, thank you. Thanks, everybody. To stay updated on new episodes, subscribe on iTunes or follow on Facebook.com slash Rabbi Shulk. That's Rabbi Shulk, R-A-B-B-I-S-H-O-L-K. Hey, so if you're really serious about this, come on down to ravariel.com. That's www.ravariel.com. Take our free trial, do the self-learn path, or try group coaching, or even come apply to work with me one-on-one. And you give yourself the accountability and the support and the step-by-step path that you need to feel calmer, more mindful, and happier with your life. So come on down, www.ravariel.com. See you there.